scourge of cybercrime grows more serious with each passing day, yet many companies aren't properly equipped to do battle with it. Hi, everybody. I'm Bob Bowman, Managing Editor of Supply Chain Brain, and this is the Supply Chain Brain Podcast. Cybercrime has been with us since the birth of the Internet, but the problem just keeps getting worse. Armies of hackers, hacktivists, terrorists, and even foreign governments are bent on stealing your company's secrets and possibly doing severe damage to your organization. According to a new survey on the state of cybercrime in the U.S., conducted by PwC and three other authors, 2015 has been a watershed year for cybercrime. Today I'm speaking with PwC partner Quentin Orr, who tells us what the study revealed. Some of the news is positive. Government agencies and corporate boards of directors are taking an increased role in adopting good cybersecurity practices. At the same time, we uncover some alarming shortcomings in company policies, to the point of some executives claiming that they're not even worried about supply chain risk. They are going to pay a huge price for their ignorance. So let's find out what companies should be doing to guard against the newest breed of cyber attacks. Here is my conversation with Quentin Orr. Quentin Orr, welcome to the program. Thanks. Happy to be here. Tell me about this latest new study on cybersecurity. There are multiple parties involved in doing it. Who was involved and and tell me a little bit about how it was carried out. Well, Bob, the 2015 U.S. State of Cybercrime Survey was co-sponsored by not only PwC, CSO Magazine, which which stands for Chief Security Officer, and then the CERT division of the Software Engineering Institute at Carnegie Mellon University. And they're a long-time organization that's been integral to the cybersecurity space going back at least 15 years. And also the United States Secret Service. So a number of different parties involved there. And the leaders from those organizations worked together to uh, evaluate responses from more than 500 executives of U.S. businesses, law enforcement agencies, as well as government agencies. And that's the survey. That's the survey group in general. You mentioned the U.S. Secret Service. That that sort of sticks out as a bit of a surprise because my understanding of the U.S. Secret Service as as an arm of the Treasury Department is it basically had just two responsibilities. One is to go after counterfeiters of currency and the other is to protect the president and other high-ranking government officials and yet it's involved in this. So is that kind of a first for them, or has this always been territory that they've been trotting on? I'm certainly not an expert on the charter of the Secret Service, but I believe that because they are involved in the currency fraud, as you mentioned, there are elements of cybercrime that that touch on that. So I think that's part of their charter in that respect. So let's kind of turn to the study or the survey itself and talk about some of the contents there. 
David Berg, who is global and U.S. cybersecurity leader at PwC, was quoted as saying in connection with the release of the survey that 2015 has been a watershed year for cybercrime. Could you explain why that is? Absolutely. I definitely agree with that assessment. So perhaps to talk a little bit about a couple of statistics, and then I'll I'll also talk about some, some qualitative things that happened this year as well. So if you look at statistics... We'll start with the cybercrime survey itself, and we actually do a number of different surveys in this space. But in this past survey, 76% of respondents said that they were more concerned about cybersecurity threats this year than in the previous year, which was up from 59%. So that's a big material uptick in concern. Parallel to that, we also do what's called a global CEO survey. So all the CEOs of big companies around the world are polled. In that survey, 87% of at least U.S. chief executives said that they were worried about cyber threats up from 69% from the last year. And that's another material increase of the executives we poll, both those focused on cybersecurity as well as CEOs. Then if you reflect on some of the nature of the attacks that have happened, you know, without getting into the specifics, we saw at least one attack and and several perhaps that weren't necessarily publicized that went from simply trying to steal information to actually now a level of malice where they're literally trying to damage the organization in addition to stealing information or publicizing embarrassing details. And that has sent a chill through the spine of a lot of executives that we deal with when they can visualize themselves or their email being splashed about simply for the purpose of embarrassing the company. And in the past, we just had not seen that uh, at the scale that we've seen it. And, and then finally, you know, the government has also taken action. Uh, President Obama passed, uh, I guess you could say, or maybe uh, an executive order that uh, promoted more information sharing across information uh, across industries to help industries work with each other. I think there's still some more legal work to be done to help th- for the government to help organizations feel more comfortable sharing information. But I'd say altogether, those are the factors that make made uh, this past year a better year. Okay, that being the case, though, it seems to me that corporate executives are very good at showing concern about stuff. Uh, you know, so, so they're more concerned, so they're more worried, and clearly they must be considering what we've seen in the headlines recently with regard, with regard to cyber attacks and hacks and the like. The question is, are they following that up with action to back up their concern? What does your survey show in that regard? So I guess you could say the biggest proxy for action would be spending, and we're on the front lines of seeing where that happens. So if, if you look at some of the statistics there, 20% of companies with more than 10,000 employees said they raised investments in security by 20% or more in 2014, the past year, uh, while 12% of small companies did so. And you typically see bigger companies having more mature practices because they're spending more. They have tended to increase spending faster in response to these attacks. There's probably a perception that they're more of the target of the attacks rather than small companies, which often feel they're under the radar, so to speak. 
I'd say anecdotally in terms of the clients I work with, I've certainly seen an increase in spending in the last few years. That's certainly more than just uh, inflationary. You know, there's been some pretty big material increases in spending across the board. So I think that there are, is action. There's still a lot more to be done, but they're definitely not just talking about this. They're definitely taking action. Do you have a sense of how that spending is being used? In other words, is it uh, more toward hiring people, acquiring technology, um, somehow else acquiring the uh, expertise needed? Where's the money going? We actually do a few different surveys, as I mentioned. One way of answering that would be that so we have another survey called the Digital IQ Survey, and 69% of respondents said that they were investing in cybersecurity technologies more than any other spending category. And then in our cybercrime survey, not to throw too much data at this, almost half said that they were adding new technologies as a spending priority higher than any other initiative. So let me maybe comment on that. With technology being the number one target, you might say, well, you know, aren't there higher priorities in, say, hiring people or processes, policies, et cetera? Part of this is I think there's been a lot of deferred spending in the past. You know, we're coming out of a number of years of recession and different, different companies and different industries are kind of catching up at different rates, as well as there were a lot of past investments in technologies that are now being deemed either ineffective or obsolete and need to be replaced. So you have maybe some companies that simply don't have a type of technology that they need, so it's a net new investment in a new capability that they should have had that they don't, or they've made past investments that need to be replaced because the technology they've been using is no longer effective to combat modern threats. Where is the threat coming from today? Perhaps uh, various types of cyber threats can be divided into categories, I guess. Sometimes they come from other companies, sort of amounting to commercial espionage or commercial hijinks, as you say, trying to damage competitors. Sometimes they come from foreign governments. Sometimes they come from just hackers, just out to see if they can do it. And sometimes they even come from terrorists. Where's the threat coming from the most these days? So we tend to divide what we call adversaries into four buckets. One would be nation states. So the security apparatus of a, 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 an entire country, sometimes working in concert with a security agency of that country, the military of that country, or even perhaps a closely aligned business of that country to perhaps acquire intellectual property. Then you have your traditional cyber criminals who are really out for financial gain. So they're going to try to monetize information any way they can. Any industry is fair game in that respect. Typically, they're going after individuals' personal information, whether or not that's financial information or healthcare information, identifiers like social security numbers, anything that can be monetized, they're after it. And then you have a couple of other categories. One would be hacktivists. So you have seen the advent of now politically motivated groups that will take action because they want to penalize a, a government or a company for some philosophical, political reason. And then finally, we use as the fourth category, insiders. So these are either active current employees of an organization or 
they have nearly left or recently left the organization, so they possess a tremendous amount of information about the organization. And you often will see when we do investigations that these types of individuals are also involved. Or it could be an insider working in concert with one of the other three actors that I previously mentioned. So those are the way we divide the adversaries. Which of those, if any, can you generalize are these days providing the biggest threat? Are one of those or one or more of those responsible for more attacks than some of the others? It varies by industry. Uh, so if you looked at our survey re- results for the cyber, this particular survey, the attribution went to, say, hackers, generally speaking, at 25%. So the, the survey results point in sometimes different directions or even more categories that I mentioned just now. You might have 12% being attributed to the results in 2014, organized crime 10%, nation states, while at 8% this year, often can have a very large impact if they do target a company because of their capabilities. So small percentage of attribution, but the impact can be quite large. And then 23% just said that they didn't know. And that's just because they, they weren't able to attribute the event to any particular adversary when they did the analysis. When there are failures in cybersecurity, I'm wondering, I don't know if your survey actually covers this or not, or whether you have a feeling for it, but when things go wrong, are they more often the case of the technology, the security technology in place is just not up to the attack? The attack has found a way to surmount current technology, or is it a failure of people? People within an organization putting in easily guessable passwords, maybe not passwords at all, maybe responding stupidly to phishing attacks, stuff like that. Which of those two areas do you think poses the greatest threat for actual cyber attacks? Without question, human error is behind most penetrations, so to speak, of our clients. When you look at technology as a, as a, as a defense there's almost no technology that you can put in place that will 100% defend against these types of adversaries if they target you. It's only a matter of time that they're going to find some way in. Typically, what they do find, though, are users, employees, that are willing to click on links in, say, an email, cleverly crafted email where they can persuade them to do something that they shouldn't, oftentimes giving them a toehold into the environment, which they then can expand over time and then try to gather the information they're after. Or it could be poorly configured systems, not following policies. So while all the adversaries that we track in, in the most sophisticated attacks possess tremendous skills to get into the environment, to take advantage of weaknesses in technology, sometimes take advantage of weaknesses in technology that aren't known, do all sorts of really advanced things. In many cases, they don't even need to use those tools because companies make it too easy on them to get in because of some of these mistakes that their users will make in terms of clicking on something they shouldn't or the side door to the house is open because the systems were poorly configured. And if they had only done things a little bit more cleanly, it would made made it a lot more difficult to get into the environment. I want to talk about third-party risks because every global supply chain is, by its very definition, a collection of internal and and outside parties, many of whom have access to key security areas. 
What is the situation that the survey uncovers with regard to the proliferation of third-party risks, and what are some ways in which those risks can be addressed? So the third-party concept has been really well publicized. A number of the most prominent breaches of the last two and three years have been traced back to the relationship that an organization had with one of their suppliers or vendors, someone that in some cases had direct access to their systems to provide a service. The adversaries are sophisticated enough to do their homework, figure out the ecosystem that this company lives in, and then perhaps target a connection that a third party has. Because sometimes these smaller vendors that supply big companies don't have the defenses that a bigger company does. So the path of least resistance might be to go after the small supplier. They have loose systems, connect in there, and then use that trust that they have with the larger company to get in. So when we look at the third-party risk programs that our, that our clients have, the financial services industry was clearly first out on this. They've been really focused on third-party risk for quite some time, a number of years. So much like anything else, the banking sector tends to be a, a bit ahead of the rest of the sectors, and then the sector, other sectors look at what banking is doing and then adopt them as they feel practical. When we look at our survey results, 62% said that they evaluate security risks of third-party providers or partners, uh, 57% said they did so for contractors, and only 42% said that they consider supplier risks. And if you look at the, the, the other statistics, they might say they look at only 52% of software providers, and then alarmingly, 23% said that they were not concerned about risks at all. So and I'm not sure who those companies are, but uh, you know they, they've got a rude awakening coming to them if they still continue to believe that there are no threat of third-party risks. Very difficult to conceive of a company today that would make a statement like that. I just can't imagine what would be behind it other than the fact that maybe, well, we haven't been hit up to this point, so everything's fine. I mean, just speculating, might that be the only possible scenario under which a company today could say that they that they don't have any concerns at all? Human nature is hard to understand sometimes. I mean, it's, it is worrisome. I mean, almost one in five CEOs, CFOs, and COs said that they're not worried at all about supply chain risk, yeah. 19%. Well, even some of the ones that are, another thing your survey says is that only 16% of the respondents evaluate third-party cybersecurity more than once a year. In other words, maybe they'll do it right up front when they onboard a supplier, and then they just sort of file that away and don't ever address it again. That, that's a common problem? Our clients and the respondents here are in a phase of rapid maturity in this area. It was an area that, again, like I said, the banks were early and focused on a number of years ago, and now the rest of our industries are starting to catch up. So I think you're going to see these numbers change quite a bit over time. The initial table stakes is to at least do an assessment of your higher risk vendors once a year. But when you look at some of our clients and what they're doing, they may not even have figured out who their high risk vendors are. So you have to study all of your vendors and that could be tens of thousands for a big company. And then you have to have a methodology to narrow your risk based on what they're doing for you and then determine what it is you're going to do with those high-risk vendors. Most of them haven't gotten to the point of adequately assessing all of their high-risk vendors every year, let alone doing it multiple times per year. 
You talk about boards of directors. You say they're concerned, but they're not always engaged. What is the level at which a board of directors can be engaged in cybersecurity of a given company? This is another area that we're seeing a lot of evolution where, say, five, six years ago, you really probably had very, very little board engagement on this this issue. You might have had an occasional discussion of security or controls via the audit committee, and it probably was focused on compliance matters. Now you're starting to see a lot more board engagement, the board initiating discussions with management about what is going on, and then the board, the management team then in turn responding and sometimes having to put in plan place, put plans in place that they did not have previously to make sure that the board is comfortable. So it's very much an evolving area. I'm personally seeing a number of my clients' boards get engaged and put a lot of pressure on management. And it's really just changing quite a bit over time. You don't see as much full board engagement as you might expect. You see smaller uh, involvement from some of the subcommittees of the board rather than the full board being engaged. Well, that probably goes to the very structure of so many corporate boards today. They consist of executives from other companies that maybe don't even devote more than a few days a year to their responsibilities on a, on a, on a board of another company. Um, so I guess that's it. But I, I suppose you're saying then that the, the true role of a board is basically to hold management's feet to the fire on the subject of cybersecurity, right? Yeah, absolutely. Like any, any type of oversight, they need to provide monitoring of what management's plans are and, and provide perspective if they believe that their management team is not addressing it fully. If you look at our board engagement statistics, 25% of the full board were involved uh, for 25% of the respondents, 24% was risk committee and 15% audit committee, and then 30% had none. I think over time you're going to start to see those statistics go up where you'll see more full, full board engagement and then a smaller number of none. It's not surprising that smaller companies wouldn't have as much board involvement. I've I've noticed in my personal client base, some of the smaller companies where the first board inquiry into this generates a lot of activity. Previous to that, they had had never any conversations with the board on this particular topic. They might get one board member that came from perhaps a larger company or a different company that had a much more engaged board that particular board member then starts to stir up the issue and and everyone starts to get involved. One of the statistics that I think is germane in this area is that half of boards view cybersecurity as an IT risk, 49%, and 42% see it as a, uh, a corporate governance issue. I would speculate that part of this is due to the fact that most board members do not have an IT background, and perhaps they view cybersecurity as an exotic IT issue, and it's maybe perhaps a little bit inaccessible to them versus other issues that deal with with more familiar business topics. I think over time, as the board members get educated and more comfortable with the topic, more of them will start getting more engaged on the topic, and I think you're going to start to see more full board engagement for that reason. Let's talk briefly about the C-suite. One of the sponsors of your survey, as you mentioned, is CSO Magazine, that is Chief Security Officer. I'm wondering to what extent that position exists in C-suites today, whether a CSO or a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer. How prevalent is that individual? The 
CISO role, where if you look back in time, say, you know, 15 years ago, was pretty rare. And now you're starting to see, certainly for most big companies, the existence of, of a CISO, Chief Information Security Officer. Some companies may call it just the Chief Security Officer. Either way, we're, we're largely talking about the, the same type of individual. The, uh, the statistics of companies having a CISO have been going up over time as well. Where you know in the past again you've seen a slow increase of adoption of the typical role, and then you start to see those particular CSOs reporting more to the top of the house, you know the real true executives of the company that drive the strategic direction. Whereas in the past, you may have seen a CSO role really being given to more of a mid-level IT manager, and they really weren't acting as an officer of the company, getting in front of the board, et cetera. You know, we're just about out of time, but I guess I want to ask you just one final question. And that is when I look at this landscape and I see the forces that are amassed against companies, the huge numbers of parties out there involved in cyber attack and cyber crime, when I hear about government agencies being hacked that you would never have thought that could have happened, when I hear about foreign governments having army units that are devoted entirely to hacking the companies and governments uh, elsewhere in the world, I have to ask myself, is there any hope? I mean, when we look at the future, is this a threat that can successfully be combated? We tend to look at the issue as one that has to be managed like any other risk issue. You're not going to win any more than you're going to win the game of terrorism. The name of the game has shifted just throughout my career, where in, say, the mid-90s or the mid-2000s, even the late 2000s, the mentality of security or cybersecurity was very much compliance-driven, call it a checklist approach. Let's focus on making sure that we have all the building blocks in place. Let's do the things that the frameworks tell us to do. Whereas now you're starting to see an evolved approach that focuses much more on the business assets that could be impacted, much more on the strategic priorities of the company that could be impacted by cyber, and then also focusing less on merely locking down systems with the intent of preventing anyone from getting in. There was a genuine belief for many, many years that if you turned all the knobs and tighten down all the hatches, you could prevent everyone from getting in. You know, you had the quote, right firewalls in place. Now most people that understand the issues understand there is no 100% success rate of keeping out adversaries. So you have to dramatically increase your ability to understand what's going on in your environment and then quickly detect when there's something anomalous and have the ability to contain it and clean it up. There's no idea anymore that you're going to have 100% security behind your your walls and your moats uh, of the castle. They're going to get in. You have to assume that you are either already compromised or you will be soon, and then decide, do I have the right capabilities to detect and respond to an event like that? That's the only way we believe organizations can appropriately manage their risks. We've been talking about the 2015 U.S. State of Cybercrime Survey. Quentin Orr from PwC, I want to thank you so much for joining us. I'm going to link to this study in the show notes. Uh, thank you for helping to outline the problem and the situation as it now stands and maybe even giving us a little bit of hope at the end after all. Thank you very much. Thanks, Bob. It's been my pleasure. That was my conversation with Quentin Orr of PwC. 
talking about a survey on the state of cybercrime in the U.S. We're online at www.supplychainbrain.com, where we post a new episode of this podcast for streaming or downloading every Friday. You can also read my Think Tank blog, watch thousands of videos, and access all of our other content, including the digital edition of our magazine. Look for us on Facebook and LinkedIn, and follow us on Twitter, at SCBrain. You can also download or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. Got any comments or suggestions on this or any episode? Email me at rbowman at supplychainbrain.com. See you next time.